Hello, everybody, and welcome to Paranormal Analytical. I had to think about it there for a second. How the hell are you guys today? I'm wonderful, Dylan. How are you, man? Oh, I'm great. So, everyone, uh, a little bit of an announcement here. I am here as a special guest host. Uh, so this is not going to be a fully time thing, but I am here as a guest host just until things on the political front uh, die down after the election. So I'll be here until probably mid-November, and then I'll be out. But as always, ladies and gentlemen, my lovely and talented, the professor, Rick Warren, is here to join us. Rick, how are you today? I'm doing great, guys. How's Dylan and uh, Glandon doing, man? Good to see you guys again, really. The professor now. I haven't heard the that. I know it, man. Did I went from Bannon to Professor. That's a man. Good I, deal. I think that was I listen, I just came up with that. And <laughs> and and of course the bald and the beautiful Landon Wells. There you go. <laughs> the bald and the beautiful. Oh my God. So, um, you know, I, really quick before we get into all this, guys, I, I have to say that uh, when Eddie was asking me to, to, you know, come on and do this, he, I asked him what topic he wanted me to talk about. And he said, well, hey, why don't you talk about Mount Shasta? We've talked about disappearances. We've talked about folks disappearing in, in the wild. Why don't you talk about Mount Shasta? And when, when, when I started my research uh, uh, with Mount Shasta, it was like you get a whole lot of information, then you're at a dead end. You get a whole lot of information, then you're at a dead end. And I, I – I, it was very difficult, but I think between myself and Rick, we have some great information. Am I right, Rick? I've got a little, yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. was kind of like you. I uh, I hit a hit a couple of blank walls there, and uh, I went down the rabbit hole a couple of times. But yeah, yeah, there's some interesting things I found out. Well, I think that's probably a, a a common thing when you're dealing with the paranormal too. You can only go so far before it's you hit the unknown and it's hard to prove. You know what I mean? And and that's the thing with like what I was noticing about Mount Shasta is there are some people that say it's paranormal. There are some people that say it's extraterrestrial. There are some people that say it's spiritual. There are some people that say it's a hidden secret island in the middle of the volcano. There's a lot of theories out there about this one mountain, this one area. And the strange disappearances obviously add to that conspiracy. They add to that lore. Mm -hmm. We'll get a little bit into two of the disappearances a little bit later. Uh, the one disappearance is really weird. The other one's just kind of weird. But, uh, Rick, I wanted to start off with your... Uh, your research and your readings, because as I understand, you came across a lot of spiritual stuff, a lot of native beliefs. Can you just take us through what some of your research found? Sure, sure I can, Dylan. Thank you. Well, to begin with, let's locate where Mount Shasta is, okay? It is at the very lower end of the southern Cascade Mountain Range. And um, for millennial, I mean a long, long, long time, this has been a very sacred mountain to the Native Americans. We were, uh, I found, I mean, I, I usually know quite a few tribes, but I tell you what, I found some different tribes and different peoples and indigenous uh, uh, characters that was there that um, 
It was interesting, to say the least, because this is a well-known, very well-known mountain. Um, like you said, it has a trifecta of spiritual, uh, terrestrial, and um, Native American, all three wrapped up in one. And I'm, I can speak for the Native American side because a lot of them are still there, the ones that were not, um, well, basically wiped out because at the height of some of the tribes that were there, and these were like the Waninam tribe and um, a couple other ones there that um, uh, I found that was there, gold was found in them their mountains. And once gold was found, the uh, persecution and basically the uh, genocide of a lot of the peoples and a lot of the tribes and cultures in that area was completed. And a lot of the other Shasta Native Americans have been assimilated into other tribes around that area. And, um, but they still carry on. They still carry on their belief system. And they have a very, very strong uh, belief system in that mountain. And like you said, it, it, a lot of it's spiritual. A lot of it is magical. Um, it is believed that um, there, was, um, there was a chief there. Now, in the very beginning, and um, he was in a, in a fight, basically, for um, a superiority of that region. And he was on top of the mountain and in the mountain. And the people from below, the guy that was below, was uh, from the deep core earth. And that's what started the violent eruptions of the volcanic island or the volcanoes, volcanoes itself. And um, well, they were throwing lava and all this other good stuff. And... Um, it basically uh, formed the mountain range as it is today. And they know that the, this is true because, well, basically they have totems, they have different sacred monuments out there, they have different traditions out there that they hold to very strictly to, to what they believe in to this very day. Uh, a lot of it, people say that, um, um, you know, it's... Um, well, a, a fairy tale, so to speak, because some of the things that you hear about Mount Shasta and some of the things that you've seen about Mount Shasta, it, it takes you out there. It takes you into that other world. It takes you into that other dimension of, am I going to follow this or am I going to, you know, let it go for what it, what some people say it is. And and, and that's the thing with, with Mount Shasta. Like, before I really dove into the like mystery behind Mount Shasta. I was like, well, it's Northern California's destination. Like that's where, you know, if, if you're talking about being from Northern California or visiting California in the North, people assume Shasta is where you're going. Um, I mean, it's beautiful. And I, I mean, like I said, at the top of the hour, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different theories that go even past the spiritual side. Um, there are a lot of locals who claim like, random wormholes open up in the side of the mountain and then mm -hmm. close mysteriously. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just curious if you came across any of any of those types of things. Uh, did any of those types of things overlap with the natives' beliefs? Uh, certainly did, yeah. Um, a lot of the things that happened on that land and everything was brought about by the annihilation of, of the peoples themselves. And when things happened like that, there were curses that were put on that land. I mean, very by chiefs, by different tribes, by different councilmen, by, by medicine men, women, all of it. And all these curses add up to a very volatile, volatile 
um, ideal of spirituality. And, and a lot of that goes a long ways because there are different dimensions in that mountain and around and through that mountain. And to this day, it is known as one of the sacred mountains that a lot of people go to to find that transcending, um, I guess, whatever they're looking for in their, in their spirituality. Because in that transcending of going to that mountain, there are people that come back totally totally changed yeah i i know that um I, I tried to focus more on the mystery side of it but there were a lot of people talking about how um the earliest uh civilizations as far as spiritually um thought that no no mortal could climb chasta they thought that it was something so powerful and so pure that only the spirits could be there and of course, you know, as we see now, people are scaling the mountain. Hundreds of people are scaling the mountain probably every day, you know. Um, but I know that that was a big part of spirituality. And I know in current day, a lot of people go to the mountain to, I guess, be be uh, grounded is the term or become one right. with nature. Is that the term? Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know it's a, there's a big push for like spirituality and becoming one with nature and um that to me is 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 always super interesting did you did you find any details of the natives living on the mountain or did they more or less praise the the mountain and they kind of just stayed away in different situations in different beliefs and cultures i'm going to tell i'm going to say this in different tribes there are different beliefs there are different um um, belief systems in that some uh, see the mountain as being a god, as being a, a totality of what power is because of the volcanic activity, because of the rumblings, because of the earthquakes. And, and a lot of spiritual, uh, spiritual quests were done in that mountain and around that mountain by the indigenous people because a lot of people found that quality of spirituality deeper than any other place they'd ever found, been. That was one of the questions I had was, you know, with when you talk about natives and stuff, were there certain like practices or rituals or things that they did because they held this mountain in such a high regard and, and thought it was such, you know, like you just put it as a as a god almost? Yes. A lot of the uh, people that especially the men, um, when we come of age, so to speak, we go on what's called a spirit quest. OK, we. um go into a spirituality uh, for my culture and everything, for my tribe and everything, we enter what's called uh, the sweat lodge. And uh, in the sweat lodge, you have your first spiritual experience through that ceremony itself. It's a very private uh, ceremony. It's a very life-changing ceremony. I know that the first time I went, I was invited to go to my first sweat lodge, um, I had to really change my whole ideal of what I was entering because I didn't really understand what was going on until somebody said, hey, you really need to take this serious. You know, this is a life-changing experience for you as a man when you walk into that um, sweat lodge because basically you're being born of Mother Earth back into the world because of what's happening and transpiring in, in your spirituality when you enter that uh, sweat lodge and come back out. That's that's really interesting that that uh, you know that that's kind of the concept of being born again 
Uh, you know, that that's a super interesting concept. And to me, that kind of, I guess, gives validity isn't the word, but like that that kind of if you think about people talking about how they see formations open up, you know, like holes will open up on the, in the mountain and people talk about how they've, they've been on the mountain and they've felt completely different than how they've ever felt before. Or even like you said earlier, people who have scaled the mountain have come back very different people. It's, it's kind of interesting. No, it is because um, a lot of people call it like Moses on the Mesa, you know, um, if you look at the biblical sense of what happened to Moses on top of the mountain, and when he came back, it said that his whole countenance had changed. Um, I know some of the people that I went with on spiritual quests and things like that, when they come out of ceremony, their whole, their whole structure, their whole being and essence has changed because you know that what they experienced in there was something that no man and nobody can take away from them. And those are very special times. I mean, I can't even speak of what mine was like because it's that personal. Uh, I know that the other people that go into these spiritual quests and things like that can't speak of what happened to them because that is for them personally, spiritually, and basically mentally, emotionally. You do come out a changed person. I, I want to take a little bit of a left turn because that's interesting to me. Do in your in, and I understand you can't speak for all of the native cultures, but in your particular mm-hmm. culture, it, it's obviously it's something that isn't talked about. It isn't shared with the outside world. Right. Right. There are Dylan and, and Landon there are, are, are just like the public powwows and then there's the private powwows. Okay. Uh, what the people see in the powwows and when they go to some of our powwows is exactly what, well, it's showtime, basically, to say. In the private powwow, in the sector of the family and the culture itself, no man, no other person except the culture and the tribe itself knows what goes on inside those powwows. And so, just like the peyote, just like the peyote culture. Oh, I so it's so what what we see in the public powwows compared to the closed off powwows, you know, they're two different powwows. It's two exactly. very separate powwows. Exactly. That's, that's see, that's neat to me that you guys have 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 protected your culture for such a long period of time that like even now people have questions. You know, mm-hmm. do you do you get that a lot, Rick, where people try to ask you like about things and you're just like, I can't tell you that it's very personal. It's very, That's very true. Every, almost every every place I go, I have people that just basically and <laughs> I've had kids come up and say, ask me, say, are you a real Indian? You know, no. and it's cute because, you know, they, they don't know, you know, yeah. and to sit there and come and walk in. When people, some people come into the powwows for the f- first time and they hear the drums and they see us dancing and they see the jingle dresses and they hear the, the beat of the drums and everything and, and the singers themselves. It is a moving, very moving, very moving time of being able to sit there and sit down with the culture that they have no idea what really transpired until they walked in and started being a part of it. And then when we walk up and, and ask someone to join us in the arena, whoa, you know, 
I have, and it, I have, is a, it is a moving experience. I have one last question because, listen, th- this is fascinating to me. Uh, you know, the natives have always been fascinating to me. And, Rick, we've never had these discussions before on or off air. And I've just always thought that was a big injustice to you as someone who's on this show. How has technology changed the powwows? We've come a long way. We have. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, it has changed it for the... Well, I mean, um, it's a sales pitch, you know, come to the powwow, be spiritually blessed, join us. We will show you. And, and, and it's all, what do I want to say? It's, it's all for the public and that's what they see and that's what they get. Whereas on a traditional powwow, uh, we have intertribal powwows and tribal powwows. Those are two different powwows to where if it's intertribal, other tribes can join us at that powwow, and it's one big woohoo, you know. But if, <laughs> but if it's just tribal for our culture alone and everything, no, no other tribe, nobody else can join us. That is, golly, that is very, very interesting stuff. Thank you, Rick, because it is. It's it's been it's weird that like I've interviewed so many people, I've spoken with so many people, but Rick, I've never I've never interviewed you. You've I only you ever, have. you've only ever just been a a, a, a co-host. Yeah, and yeah. you know, Rick, I think we have to change that on one of these shows. I think, I think we're way past due for me to interview you. Um, wow. Yeah, really, we really are. Um, so where I was going with that, Dylan? Oh, go ahead, please. Was that because of the spirituality that I that I just explained to you through our culture and through my tribes and ceremonies that I go through? The Mount Shasta people were just like us in that perspective because they believed in what they saw. They believed in what they felt. They believed in the sacredity, you know, sacredness of that mountain. It was powerful. It was almost a god to them. So, so if so, that was actually going to be my next question. If, if if from your personal experience, if you were able to connect with those folks, so obviously you were. So. You think that it's not a question of believing that these things are actually happening, but th- to the natives, these things actually did happen through their ritual process. In a lot of perspectives, yes, it did. Because let's just face it, the paranormal is is a study of different ideals and um, things that happen and go bump in the night, as, as some people say. Whereas with the Native American and with the rituals and ceremonies that we go through sometimes, it's a reality. Did did you change at all after researching this, uh, this new um, stuff? I, I will say no, not really, because it, what it did, it enlightened me to see that not only was it true around my area, so to speak, where I've been, where I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, and around that area, and I was part of the, I was chairman for seven years for the All Nations Native American um, Society here in Ark City, and I brought like 11 powwows to this area, and um, it didn't change anything except what it changed in me was it gave me a stronger belief in the Native culture because I see that it's not only here but it's out there and it's up in Canada. It's up in the Great Lakes region where my tribe's from. And um, it's all one people, it's all one society, it's all one one gathering of nations, so to speak. 
Yeah, um, as I'm sure you guys just saw, I pulled up a comment from Scott Hammonds that says the frequency draws everyone. Rick, do, do you do you believe that philosophy? Do you kind of hop on that philosophy that maybe it's something, maybe it is something strong within the mountain itself. Maybe it is something spiritually with the mountain, something so beautiful. You think of it when you think of Mount Chasta, when you think of the Grand Canyon, the Great Wall of China, these wonders of the world, if you will, they do have this unworldly type vibe, correct? It is. It's a two-edged sword, Dylan, Landon, because on one side you have the, the purity of the spirituality that the people see in the mountain. You have the uh, transcending of what they see and what they feel in their spirit when they, when they visit that mountain, take pilgrimage there. On the other hand, you see the genocide of, a, of an indigenous people because of the gold that was found there and the treaties that were broken and, and different things that happened uh, on, a, on a grand scale. Because there were literally tribes and, and people that were wiped out because of the gold and, and because of broken tra- treaties and everything that happened in that era. Yeah, I, I think that like, you, you know, I, I did a lot of I did a lot of the same. I came across a lot of the same things that you came across in my research. And I think that that was the part that really drove home to me just how. You know, when you think of something like a Gettysburg, everyone's talking about, oh, it was the bloodiest battle, so there's spirits everywhere. You don't hear about, oh, there's spirits around Mount Chasta. And when you realize just how many folks fought and died for that land and land surrounding, Mm -hmm. I mean, more people died. Listen, I'll, I'll be very blunt. More natives died than any you know any battle that we oh. fought and, and there, there's blood all over that mountain there is blood all over that mountain the ground cries it, it literally cries because of the blood that was shed and you know to you is this is this I, I know you said it didn't really change you but it enlightened you is this something that like you now you 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 said you've learned about completely different tribes is this helping you to become closer to that you know uh, original kind of mindset that you had i think it's parallel with everything that that a lot of the different uh, uh tribes believe the lakota um the seneca the potawatomi cherokee ponca oto missouri all of those tribes, every one of us have a belief in spirituality. Every one of us have a belief in Wonkantonka. And he's the great spirit. And the great spirit is what transformed and, and made us what we were in light of spirituality, not only for this land that I live on, but for the people that was part of that mountain. I see. Um, well, you know, in a sense, if there's any takeaway from from all of this i think that that is is probably the most important takeaway just that we are enlightening and that we are learning and you know we are educating and i think that's always great i guess uh do you have more more along uh more research there with the parallels or with uh with the natives or would you like me to move on well actually i did but i i think that i can probably use that at a, at a latter time. I'm, I'm kind of interested in what you come up with, but I do want to say that um, you have to realize that when these curses were put on this land and on this mountain, it divided the spirit world into a lot of different chasms, so to speak, and that you're looking at different 
uh, not only what you might call a wormhole or a portal, but you're looking at different spirits that walk and, and live on that land now. And that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I never thought of it that way. I never thought of, you know, I've been researching the paranormal for a long time and I've never, I've never thought of it that way, but it's, mm-hmm. it's these events that open up, you know, us to the paranormal. That's a very interesting philosophy, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why Rick is the professor. Just so, just so everyone knows. And listen, and that was a nickname that I came up with right before this show. And nobody knew I was going to use it. But you know what? It sounded pretty good, huh? Yeah. Well, I do okay. want to say, uh, before we move on to the disappearances and stuff, I, I uh, you know, I live in Georgia, but I grew up, you know, pretty close to the Cherokee Reservation in North Carolina. And I did a lot of, you know, they have like a lot of public classes and stuff where they try to teach you some of their culture and some of the things. And I was doing like one of these, uh, like herbal classes, like herbal healing where they teach you how to use different, you know, plants and stuff in the region and uses for medicines and things. Um, and I actually went and did one of the sweat lodges with the Cherokee there. And it was, it is a, it is. I I agree with everything that you said, Rick. When you said it is a humbling experience, and for somebody <laughs> like me who's who's not native and isn't isn't quite as familiar with that stuff, when you get to go see their performances and things that they do, it's it's a culture shock for sure. And it's it's really cool to see how you know their take on it and how they tie it back to to Mother Nature and how much they they really you know believe in what they're doing and. And, and how much it affects everything that they do throughout their entire life. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. So I want to I want to encourage anybody that's that is around an area where you can do something like that or go see these things. Uh, you definitely should because it's it's an awesome experience. Yeah, you know I, I think that like I've had a lot of great uh, great experiences, a lot of great conversations with Rick. Myself and Rick have opened up to each other in a lot of different facets. We've talked to each other about you know spirituality. We've talked to uh, we've talked to each other about uh, you know the natives. He's he's been able to really educate me. Uh, someone just sent a book in chat. I assume it's Sonia. All right, Sonia, that was a great time. I guess I guess I'll tell Sonia's. Sonia's book before I do my own. I don't even think, is this too big for me to pull up on screen? Oh yeah. Oh, it shrinks down. Great. That's going to be great. Okay. <clears throat> You're going to have to read this one. Cause I can't yeah, even get this it. This is like, screen. I have to really, yeah, I got to really move in. Wait, what'd you say, Landon? <laughs> What's on the screen is only like a quarter of what she wrote. So oh, Jesus. All right. Wow. Um, all right, everyone. We're going to, we're going to bear with me here while I read this. Um, okay. We have our own energy centers, also known as Chakras. Thank you. Chakra. Thank you. Um, Mother Earth has has hers. Uh, When you're when you're start when you start looking into the nature of the universe and the Earth, you start to see how everything is a mirror. Uh, within us is a universe, around us is a universe, and we are all connected. When we are connected to Mother Earth through electrical current that runs through and around the entire planet, these, wait, did I lose where I'm at? I think I did. (laughs) These electrical currents are called ley lines. Just like veins, we have veins that flow in and out of our heart. Mother Earth has the same thing. These lines are energy that coil around the Earth, similar to uh, to a strand of DNA. They're Uh, Ley lines that intersect and are believed to be high points of energy or concentration of electrical charge. It's also... 
it's also able to take information or energy from these higher uh, vibrational points and carry them around the planet. It spreads knowledge, wisdom, and these intersecting points are considered to be homes uh, uh, to sacred temples and monuments, such as Machu Picchu, the pyramids, Mount Shasta, included uh, among other places across the world you were okay sonia thank you so much for that sonia apologizes because she knows i have to i'm blind i gotta get up here lean in you guys have to be closer to this mug nobody wants that let me tell you nobody wants that but thank you so much sonia um there's there's a lot of truth to that you know i i only learned about ley lines because i'd like everyone to understand i'm still learning you know for as long as i've been doing this i'm still learning i've been you know it's been research for a long time but i learned about ley lines the first time when when uh when myself and Kristen used to do the show together, I know y'all are y'all are talking like we're talking like a year and a half ago, maybe when myself and Kristen did the show together, Kristen had brought all the spiritual stuff to me about ley lines and the stars and constellations and retrogrades. And I don't understand any of it still like I am. That helps me, uh, Sonia. So I, I appreciate you so much for being able to, explain to me how this how this stuff works um that's i guess landon that seems like a question that seems like something that's kind of up your alley what are your thoughts on ley lines and these locations being ley lines yeah you know ley lines come up a lot in the paranormal especially with the you know when you when you when you're researching a location, if they have ley lines that cross through that, that's one of the huge things that they that they promote out because because of what we just you know talked about right there. Because um, I know that that came across when we were talking about the Bel Air house when we were doing our research there. There's some intersecting mm-hmm. ley lines in that area, and that is uh, you know believed to be part of the reason why there's so many spirits that uh, interacts with that house. Um, it, it's one of those things. It's it's very interesting, and if you look at like you can pull up maps where you can see where all the ley lines interact and stuff, and it it's quite fascinating to see that they do uh, interact and and connect in these uh, different places like Machu Picchu and the and the pyramids and all that stuff. It's fascinating. When did this become an educational program, fellas? I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> um, good it, it all ties in together for sure yeah you know and that's that's the interesting thing and, and the reason i threw that to you lana was just because you and i are both the you know researchers and we're the ones who come up with you know we come up with this kind of stuff and we find this information and it's a lot to divulge but i figure that you've probably dissected it you know way before i even had an opportunity to and you probably had a, a pretty solid understanding of ley lines and the electromagnetic currents and all that. Um, and I hope I'm, I hope I'm like doing it justice in, in describing what I'm talking about. I have no idea. Um, way over my head, you know? Yeah, but, it, it is for me too. Uh, it's one of those things like you take it in when, when we're doing our investigations and stuff, we take it into consideration, but it's, it's also one of those things like, that's hard to present as evidence for anything. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, solar, solar x-ray storms is another one that people yeah. say, you know, when they're, when there's a solar storm, there's heightened activity and things like that. It's one of the things like you take it into consideration, you write it on your log when you're doing an investigation, but you know, <laughs> really how, how can I, how can I investigate that? Yeah. It's not, it's not in the no, foreground. There. 
Yeah. Right. You know, um, Sonia goes on to say in China, they call ley lines dragon lines. That's kind of cool, actually. I like that. Better. Cool, we need, yeah, we need to adapt that. Just just take that from China like we took a bunch of other shit. Um <laughs> That was good. Don't make it political, Bill. No, no, I, I didn't. I didn't go that. You're the one that took it that route. I just said other shit. You know, I could be talking crayons. They're all made right. in China. You know, you don't know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that like there, and I'm gonna get into the next theory or the next plausibility here. Um, but like this is even weirder. Like like the next possibility is even weirder than what we've already discussed. Um, I much like Rick had a pretty uh, beautiful written thing here, and I just want to say, <clears throat> Chasta is Northern California's outdoor destination. The icy slopes and lovely parks. Could that cold volcanic rock house a lost city? Lamaria is a hypothetical oh, lost yeah. continent yeah. slash land bridge. One of the cities, Telos, which is supposedly centered in Malchasta, is a city of advanced beings. Many believe that is the key to the mysteries surrounding Malchasta. Um, I know that... It was a lot for me to take in, and it had been debunked. Um, but it was interesting stuff. And Rick, I think you have more about that. Um, it was really interesting stuff because what I bit, found yeah. what I found interesting is what they what they had said was that this lost continent, which was also like a land bridge connecting us to Rick, do you know where it connected us to exactly? I'm drawing a blank here. The land bridge? Yeah, what did the land bridge connect to? I know obviously well, it was the upper it was the upper peninsula up there in Alaska. That's right. Coming across the Bering Straits and everything. That, and you know what? That that would have made sense and I should have just used logic there. Thank you, Rick. Um but I know that they had said that the, the the land bridge had been lost, but there was a civilization, the civilization of Telos, which was supposedly centered in the mountain, which mm-hmm. I do want to reiterate, everyone, is a volcano. Um, and I, volcano. Yes. Well, yes. it's considered active. I think the last explosion was like 1776 or some something like that. It, it's been a long time. Right. But the 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 United States volcano company or whatever, you know, whoever's in charge of that, uh, <laughs> that's still considered active. Um, and and Sonia said that earlier that it's still considered an active volcano. It is, um, it is still a part of the Ring of Fire. They call it the Ring of Fire. That's a good Johnny Cash song, Rick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the reason that that theory probably picked up was because from what I could find, people were writing about it in the 1930s and it was rehashed around the 1970s. And that's when like the 1970s was when we had that big upsurge in um, in science fiction in advanced civilizations in you know could there be something else so that to me is the only part of the research that i really kind of didn't enjoy doing just because there was no merit to it right but there's uh 
Lamoria and uh, Talos. I lost you, Dylan. Did you? Can you hear me now? Is my audio gone? Brandon, can you hear me? In and out a little bit. You're, but yeah, there you go. Okay, so everyone can hear me now. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, I just asked if there's if if there's anything that you learned about Telos or Lamaria that you wanted to talk about, Rick. Well, there was a people up there called the Klamath people. Okay, Mount Shasta is inhabited by the spirit chief. His name is Skill S K E L L. And this was the very beginning of Mount Shasta, who descended from heaven to the mountain summit. Skill fought with the spirit of the below world, L-A-O-A, who resided uh, on Mount Magma by throwing hot rocks and lava, representing the volcanic emotions of both mountains. And uh, this was written in the 1870s. And so for them to have, you know, stories surrounding this area clear back then, I mean, they're, they're, this is quite a legend. I mean, and it takes a lot for a legend to be born. And at the same time, when you have a legend, there is also a particulant of truth in those legends. And 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 that that was something. Thank you for bringing that up because that's definitely something I should have brought up. That yes, I believe this is more of a legend. I believe it's more of lore. But when you think of things like the Loch Ness monster, when you think of things like Bigfoot, these have been stories that have been told for a very very long time. And I mean, these are stories that have stood the test of time. And this legend is one that I feel like stood the test of time because people still write about it. People still talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that that's super interesting. And um, it, do, do you have more to, to go on, Rick? Well, surrounding the stories and the disappearances and things like that, this follows in with the same thing. Um, I'm trying to think of what mountain that was out there in Arizona to where there, there was a, a mountain out there that um, – the lost uh, gold mine, um, the, the Dutchman. The superstitious mountains, the lost Dutchman Superstitious mine. mountain, yes, yes. This falls in count with exactly what these uh, legends and what these folklores and what these stories are all about. I mean, these stories, once a story is, is taken uh, off, I can tell you a story now, and then uh, Landon can, can go ahead and give more of that story and add a little bit more, and then it's going to pass to Dylan, and Dylan's going to add his perspective of the story and everything. And by the time it gets down to the 15th generation, this story that started out a story becomes a folklore, mm-hmm. becomes a legend in itself because people believe in those things. You have and want something to, to believe in. That's what you believe in, is that my dad was part of that expedition up on Mount Shasta and I'm going to go find out what he found out. And, and, and there you go. And that's, yeah. Legends are born that way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you bring up the superstitious mountains uh, because that's something that I've been researching quite, quite a lot. I've been researching that for about a year now, uh, just cause I'm very mm-hmm. fascinated. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but there was a hidden treasure that was recently found, not in the superstitious mountains, but um, there's been a treasure that's been lost for like a hundred years. And the dude wrote poems to like it's show like, what was that Landon? Because New Mexico is where it was found. Thanks. Yeah, and this dude like wrote poems as puzzles. No yeah, one's figured like, it out. Yeah, and some old dude just <laughs> stumbled across it, I guess. And uh, yeah, so that's a. Yeah, he just put the treasure out there. Say that again. He just put the treasure out there. Yeah, he wanted someone to find I mean, it. 
Yeah, yeah. He created oh, this okay. entire um, this entire treasure hunt around uh, this one specific poem, and he didn't expect it to take as long as it did for people to find it. But I think it was like I don't know thirty, forty years before somebody found it. And I believe the guy that actually found it was not even looking for it; yeah. didn't even know that it was a, a treasure hunt. Um, but there's there's been countless. Um, I don't know the specific number, but there's a lot of people that have actually died looking for that specific treasure. Um, but I know that when he did find it, that it, it was worth uh, multi-millions of dollars worth of gold and things in it. So Whoa. Yeah. Um, and so the, the Lost Dutchman, the, 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 the Lost Dutchman's Mine is what it's called. I had a, I had a, um, a music writing friend who actually wrote a song. Um, which I did backup vocals on about the superstitious fountains in the Lost Dutchman. I'll send it to you, Rick. You'll you'll like it. Oh, um, okay. But that's yeah. it's it's funny that you would bring that up. You know, because I have my you know my kind of thing with that. Um, you know, you 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 brought up the disappearances and that being kind of like a game of telephone. And I have two disappearances to talk about. One, like I said, is kind of bleh. The one that's kind of bleh is the one that people have talked about the most. Um, the one that's interesting is the one that's like really out there. It came. They both came from a paranormal four one one. Four one one. Thank you. And what's the author's name? Dave. David Pilatus. Thank you. Um, and basically the first story is that an elderly gentleman, uh, and his two buddies went to scale the mountain in 1998 and the elderly gentleman never came back. Um, now a lot of people are saying, well, this is an elderly gentleman. Maybe he doesn't know how to scale the mountains. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, that's not true. He was an experienced climber at, I think they said, I think 80 years old. Uh, he was an experienced climber. He was a, a jogger. He ran, oh, it looks like we lost Landon. He ran every day. He did marathons. Uh, you know, the guy was in great shape for a man of his age. And he and his two friends had this whole plan. They were going to go from the bottom of the mountain, hit the middle of the mountain, go to the top of the mountain. And the reason that he wanted to do this is he just wanted to go up all of these. He wanted to, he wanted to reach the highest peaks of all of the mountains in every County of California. That was his goal. And he went up and he has never came down. Um, Chris Serrett says, Dylan has the most soothing voice. It makes me feel safe. Thank you so much. I appreciate that very much. I don't know if that's true or not, but thank you. Um, and, and he went up and he never came down. And people are very confused by that because how can a man with the skill, the, the right utilities, somebody who's cl a vivid climber, somebody who who is athletic how can they just go missing the body's never been found and i don't believe the backpacks have ever been recovered either that's important for the next story i talk about rick what are your thoughts mm. on that people mysteriously disappearing in these mountains and 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 that yeah that that in itself is is a deepening mystery almost every year because from the superstitious mountains uh, to Mount Shasta, to uh, Everest, wherever it might be, you have people that are disappearing. And uh, especially on Shasta, because this 
um, basically surround some of the stories I heard of the extraterrestrial, that some of the people there were on campouts and some of them were hiking and some of them were mountain, mountaining up the mountain and uh, never come back. But at the same time, the night and the day or whenever this happened, there was actual UFOs uh, sighted in that area around the mountain. And there's a lot of UFO stories around Mount Shasta. There are. Uh, it's yeah, it, it's it's that. And that's obviously we, we don't have time to talk about every every aspect of Mount Shasta. Um, but mm-hmm. but that's another thing. There is a whole extraterrestrial side of it, which I can't even begin to get into. I saw land and saw the message about my soothing <laughs> voice. It was it was already red land. And I already I already said thank you. And I don't think so. But um Kristen Lee, she says, hey, guys, what's Rick's favorite jam? Blessings. Rick, what's your favorite jam? Go. Are we talking jelly? Or like- I would assume like jelly. Oh, my Just give your favorite I mean- jelly and then your favorite song. <laughs> oh, my favorite. Wow. Wow. Strawberry jelly and then my favorite song would probably be Stairway to Heaven. There you go. There you go. So we were covered on all bases. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kristen. I miss you every day. You need to get in contact with me. Me too. Um, <clears throat> yeah, me, <laughs> me and Landon. Uh, yeah, just we'll make a big group chat. Um I think that the stories of these folks disappearing, the fact that a lot of these people are advanced in what they do when they're disappearing is weird. And yes, accidents can always happen. There's always accomplished pilots who crash and die, but that not every accomplished pilot who crashes and dies is a um, Amelia Earhart. You know, not every ship is the Titanic. Not all of these things... Are, are, are that deep you know what I'm saying and I think that that's mm-hmm. that's, what's, that's what's weird to me about that first story uh, and the second story gets much more weird and into the science fiction-y but do you guys have any thoughts on how these people who are super accomplished at doing these things do you guys have any theories on why they go missing do you think it's just accidents happen or do you think there's something deeper Landon I'll start with you you know, I, I like to I like to think that there's um, more of a conspiracy around things. I do know that that the missing people has uh, definitely increased since um, since marijuana has been legalized out in California, up in Oregon area, and the the disappearance rate of people up there has drastically increased from that. And um, I actually know a guy who went up there and I was working on one of the marijuana farms. And um, he said that, you know, basically they would uh, come up there and work you all, all summer or whatnot. And then uh, by the end of the summer, you just kind of somebody, some people just disappear and they don't end up having to pay them and things like that. So I don't know, man, I, it, it's all interesting to me. I, I honestly didn't know much about this place until the show. Uh, so it's been, it's been quite interesting to listen to. I know that there's also, you know, for the Bigfoot people out there, that's a huge, a huge area for uh, fighting for Bigfoot. So some people attest that maybe it was because of that. So there's just so many avenues where these people could be missing that it's hard to narrow it down unless you're there to see it. You know, Chris Sirrett says, I think that damn Sam Squatch took that rock climbing fella um which thank you so much this guy's hysterical man why why is he on every show um he can replace me that's your brother Uh oh listen 
we're gonna we're gonna get him on the Landon and Dylan show. Right. Um, <laughs> Landon's like sure. Um, oh my god, but Sonia. Are you fucking kidding? Okay. There is only 13 minutes in the show. (laughs) Deep breaths, everyone. I'm a pretty decent reader. I went to Mount Chasta five to six years ago. I went with a good friend of mine, and we both felt like going hiking. We thought it would be a nice place to check out. We knew we would be there all day. When we got there, there was about two to three other cars, and and it wasn't even a parking lot we parked at. We saw no trails, and we didn't know where my where to start walking. My hand started to shake, and my friend saw it and held my hand. He asked me if I'm okay. I didn't say anything for a little bit. I was basically staring at my hands. I only looked up over... Oh, when I looked up over, 40 spirits looked straight at me. They didn't blink or move away. Um... They basically stood there like statues. They were so close to me in the uh, they were so close to the car that we literally couldn't open the door. I had to I had to tell them twice to step back. Within a second, not even they vanished and reappeared ten feet away from the car. We got out of the car. Um and for me, I was serious or I was curious as as to who they were. I took a look at each one of them. Age ranged from a little girl to an to the uh, to elderly, and they all had their very own story to tell. Oh boy! After four hours into our walk, I'm sorry I have to school everybody. After four hours into our walk, there were about eight to nine spirits that ended up staying with us, and there was a section of the mountain where I uh, where I felt unease, where someone or something was staring at me. But I did feel protected by my friend and also from the spirits around us that stayed with us. One spirit who vanished, he was from the military. He yelled at us to stop where we were and not to go any further. My friend <clears throat> my, my friend knew from the look on my face that something was up. We looked around and we noticed our compass was going berserk. Uh, okay. He felt like someone was pushing him to go further. We backtracked a bit until the compass was back to normal and walked around. There was only a section where uh, this occurred when it came to the compass. I felt there was a portal to another dimension. I felt that there could be a lost civilization there. We both felt the volcano was still active every time we walked by the time... Uh, we got to his car. It was it was night. By the time we got back to his car, it was nighttime, and we both cried in the car. During the ride, we talked about our experience and our feelings. I felt peaceful despite what happened to people, whether they va- were vanished, vanished, murdered, suicide, or it was accidental. But we both uh, w- both had deep insights as to what happened to us and them. A beautiful place to check out, and would definitely go back again. Thank you, Sonia, for that lovely wow. personal story. That is very deep. Um, wow. I don't know why you got out of the car if you saw all that shit. I, I'm not I, I guess I have to say I'm sorry <laughs> I stumbled. I, I'm sorry I stumbled over the words. My bad, everybody. Um, thank you. 40 spirits outside your car? That is yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Do we, Dylan? Do we? Uh, maybe I missed it when I dropped out. But do we know how many people have went have disappeared on this mountain? Like I, I couldn't find a number. I okay. couldn't find a statistic. I, I know a lot. A lot is what everyone has said. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's one of those things. Like that's like if I tell you how many people have went missing in in you know Yellowstone. Right. 
who the fuck knows yeah um with with the last 10 minutes we have to rush through this but i wanted to tell one final story of a disappearance and um then we'll get the hell out of your hair for the night uh the the last story is very strange because it follows a little boy and his family who were camping right around Mount Shasta. I don't remember the exact name of the park, and I can tell you that the boy's identity was protected, so he is being referred to as John Doe. Um, Basically, John Doe was camping with his father and his mother, and his father noticed that he wasn't there. The mother and the father had shuffled around a little bit. They were looking, quite frantically, for their boy. They couldn't find him anywhere. After a while of searching, they got in contact with the park ranger and the police. They had park rangers looking, police looking, the parents were still looking. The boy was later found alive, unharmed, under a bush right next to camp. When the boy's parents talked to him about what had happened on that day, he had told them a story. The same story that he would tell someone else later. The story that he told them is that his grandmother had came and and, and taken him by the hand and told him that he would be safe with her. She had taken him into a cave, which no one could find. In this cave were backpacks, guns, sleeping bags, all of them covered in dust, cobwebs, what have you. They'd been there for a long time. Also in this cave was a walkway, almost like a ladder. It was at that moment that the boy realized this was not his real grandmother. He said that she was robotic. He could tell by the way light shined off of her face. He knew that this wasn't his real grandmother. He followed her because little boys. I should mention that he was three and a half years old, which... I'll get into why is important later. Um, He follows her to another area, and there's all sorts of people there. He described them as statues. He said none of them moved, none of them blinked. They were all just standing there looking at him. His, his, His grandmother had then asked him, you know, all sorts of personal questions. She had then pulled out a piece of, quote, sticky paper, and tried to get him to uh, take a poo on the paper. He couldn't go, and finally, after a while, she just took him back to camp, told him to sit under a bush, and told him someone would be there to get him soon. He told that story to his grandma, and the way he told it to her was, I don't like my other grandma, Kathy. And she said, what the hell do you mean? I'm your grandma, Kathy. She was, she asked him what he was talking about. He told her that story. She called his parents. His parents said, yes, he's told us the same story. What's startling about this is that three weeks prior, Grandma Kathy and a friend had been camping in the same camping park. They, her and her friend both woke up outside of their tents on the dirt with strange bites in the back of their neck. Grandma Kathy had realized if maybe something had happened to her. At the time, she had thought that it was just a bug bite. But at that time, she also had gotten very, very sick. It was only until very recently she had started feeling like herself. That, to me, sounds like a very science fiction type story. But I also have to note we're talking about a three-year-old child. 
Lannon, I, I see you're, you're, you're kind of smiling over there. The comments. <laughs> oh, we have some good ones. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> Kathy sounds like a supernatural bitch. Retweet. Um, Desi says hi, Rick. So Rick has a fan. Thank you so much. Hi, Desi. Wow, that's um, a crazy story, dude. It really is a deep story. And so I'm, I'm looking at this story and I'm reading into this story and I'm like, dude, this is weird. It seems very science fiction-y to me. And I, and I just wanted to get your guys' opinions. Me and you, mind you, we're short on time. But Rick, what's your opinion on that story? Do you think there might be some truth behind it? Or do you think that's completely false? Once again, it's important to note that was written about by an actual like author, like a paranormal author took down this family story and wrote about it. Mm-hmm. So please go ahead. Uh, you ever hear of a Doppler ganger? Oh yeah. Yes, sir. And uh, these type of spirits and everything do take um, the, basically the formation of other people and, and can transform uh, other people's thoughts and, and uh, activity into what they want to be and, and everything else like that. So, I mean, it is quite possible with that being around Mount Shasta and with the spirituality surrounding that mountain, that is exactly what might have happened, is that he was caught up by a Doppler ganger. And uh, because with them being there two weeks prior to that and actually um, having interactive, um, you know, things happen to them at that time, wow. I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a good story. I like it. Landon, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's important to note that it is a, a three year old, but a lot of the details in that story that he was able to say, I mean, that's kind of a lot for a three year old to come up with just off the top of their head. I find it fascinating mm-hmm. that that he said something about uh, the grandma being robotic. That's kind of that's kind of strange to me. Um, I, I'm curious if that lady did she get her bite checked out on her neck? I don't. I don't believe so. Um, and to my understanding, just for full transparency, and I could be wrong, I believe the people interviewed to tell the story of the boy was the boy's mother and the boy's sister, who the sister was not, to my knowledge, on location. So I don't know. that. That's what I could find out uh, as far as the interview goes. And maybe, it, maybe they're all just full of shit. I don't know. Yeah. You, you um, got to know what their uh, motivations are behind it before. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's time for us to pretty much wrap up. So, as always, we'll do final thoughts. Uh, Landon, we'll start off with you for final thoughts this week. We'll end with me as always. Landon, take her away. Yeah, great show. This was an interesting topic. There sounds like there's definitely more that we could dive into here. Uh, I do want to point people in the direction of that um, movie documentary, Missing 411. If you're interested in these disappearing cases in national parks and things like that, it's on Amazon Prime. It's free to watch, and it's it's quite interesting to hear how many people go missing in national parks and to know that the park rangers do not keep track of how many people go missing or anything like that um it's it's a fascinating story check it out it's on amazon prime it's free um again thank you dylan thank you rick for having me on i really appreciate it yes sir professor final thoughts (laughs) um yeah, this was a very, very interesting topic because it, it hits home with a lot of um, a lot of people because we look at um, different uh, aspects of spirituality in Mother Nature, 
And uh, I don't care if it's a lightning storm or a hurricane, a tornado, a wind gust, cyclone, whatever. But we find something powerful in those imagination and those stories, just like we've discussed tonight, because we need something to believe in. And we want something to believe in very heavily. And sometimes we take these stories and these and these folklores and pass them on to other generations. And even if it's not true, it's one hell of a story. And it can be something that can be real to you. But also at the same time, I know that in the native belief and a lot of things that we see in these stories and everything, there is an element of truth there. Very well put. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Now, right. Let me follow that up real quick. Um, just a reminder to everybody that, uh, yes, we, we, uh, well, not we, uh, Rick and, and, and Eddie and Gordon, all those guys do do political analytical tomorrow. Uh, you can find that over on the other page. Um, if you like myself and Landon, if you enjoy us, we do the Landon and Dylan show. You can find that over on his page. And Landon, if you want to give some plugs, I don't know where else. Yeah, you can you can find it on my personal profile, just Landon Wells, or you can look at Exposing Reality on YouTube or Facebook. They're all posted there. Uh, we had a fascinating topic last, last night. It was wonderful and, and kind of touched back what Rick said there. It, it costs nothing mm-hmm. to be good to people, so... Don't be a dick. Be be nice. Treat people right, especially in these times. And I want to thank everybody that's in the chats too. I know I know a lot of people that came over from some of my shares and stuff. So uh, thank you to you guys. And yeah, I have to say the same thing. You know, to anyone who watched, uh, you know, to anyone who came from Landon's pages, thank you guys so much. To anyone who is the OG squad that's here, folks like so- Sonia and Scott, thank you guys so much. Thank you guys for your insight and thank you for sharing your time and your homes with us this week. Uh, we'll be back well at least rick will be back next week i don't know what i'll be doing but uh yeah until (laughs) until next time everybody this is i'll be getting hold of you (laughs) until next time everybody this is paranormal analytical have a good night Thank you.